you are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis. Solo show today, but I uh, got a lot of great feedback on having Ryan from Locked On Mets on. He was a great source of information. The overall, if people were curious, the overall take was that uh, Dom Smith is the guy that most fans would prefer and that they're willing to take a lesser shortstop to get Dom Smith. The follow-up to that, if you didn't listen to Friday's episode, was Dom Smith actually got some MVP votes. He finished 13th overall in the MVP, only met to uh, to receive votes. So it might be harder to get him, but still, there's a reason why he is the player that uh, I would prefer to the Indians and why most of you out there would prefer as well. For next week's show, we I'm trying to get it all lined up to have my good friend Adam Lieberman on. Adam spent the 90s working for the Braves, and I got to know him when he was running things in Akron. Sometimes uh, he's been an official scorer for teams as well. Great guy, very knowledgeable, great source of information. Uh, I can tell you a few years ago, he was telling me when Pete Alonso was not like a top 100 prospect that this was the most impressive first baseman he had seen in a long time come through the minors. So whenever I see anything with Pete Alonso pop up, I think about Adam and that scouting report. He was down there when I spent my time in Akron when Akron was not very impressive. No one was really talking about the prospect pool there. And then I showed up and he's like, no, you got to check out these two guys. There are two guys here that uh, really stand out. And it was Yandy Diaz and Mike Clevenger. Perfect time to transition to some Clevenger talk, right? Got a few things to talk about on the show today, but I think Mike Clevenger is clearly uh, the thing to talk about at this point in time. He was, uh, if you didn't see the news, Tommy John surgery. It is his second Tommy John surgery of his career. He had one uh, back in the day when after he was drafted by the Angels. A big deal for a second one. And again, we often treat it like uh, everyone comes back from Tommy John the same. Doesn't always happen. And sometimes it takes over a year to regain your full control and uh, momentum, not momentum, I should say, like movement on your pitches. It's going to be interesting to see. He's a very intelligent guy. He knows his body and mechanics. I'm sure he comes back, but it's not a sure thing. And when it's a second one, it's it's a little more scary. Now, what's interesting is he signed a new contract, basically, because they knew he was going to have Tommy John surgery. And the new contract gives him a $3 million signing bonus, which also allows uh, that money to be spread out over the two years of the contract, so 1.5 per year. He's going to get $2 million next year and $6.5 million in 2022. So it allows a cheaper tax bill for the Padres. Uh, he likely would have been in line to get about 4.5 mil, maybe up to 6 mil, depending on which system they were going to use. Uh, likely closer to about 4.5 million. So he gets the bonus, which takes him up over, you know, basically 5 million he'll pocket for this season. And then the 6.5 is... He would get another increase, but since he didn't get a chance to play, it'd be a smaller amount. Uh, again, oftentimes, you know, around 37%. So even if he had gotten like 4.5, another small increase from that would not get him up to 6.5. So it's a fair contract. Um, Padres, 
aren't making out a ton in this. It does allow them to balance the money on their books a little bit more. does not cost them as much for next season. Uh, I don't know if that means they're going to go out and try to sign someone and they're worried about the luxury tax. That could certainly be the case, Uh, but it's something to keep your eye on. In terms of the Indians, if they had held on to Clevenger, what would his value be right now? I mean, they would have totally still picked up his arbitration year, $4.5 million. They'd made bigger gambles on guys like Danny Salazar in that situation. What would his trade value have been? Even if he came back at a one-year rental, uh, it's a terrible thing to see happen, but like, as an Indians fan, I have no doubt that they made the right move in that call, uh, making that trade. It is, you look back, six pieces, yes, they gave up Greg Allen, who is a useful fourth outfielder type. Matt Waldron, who we talked about on the show last week, was an interesting senior from Nebraska. Undersized, not the best stuff, but of all their day three picks from 2019, he was definitely the most impressive in terms of performance in that one year in the minors. He would have been someone I was actively following if we had had a minor league season in 2020. Since we didn't, we didn't get to see what the follow-up would be, but I understand why the Padres would ask for him. But on the Indian side of things, if we just go back and if you're someone who only sees the video of the show and that's how you know me, or if you didn't catch my podcasts after the trade, just going through the pieces of that trade, like in my opinion, the most important piece to the Cleveland Indians was by far Gabriel Arias, the shortstop. Now he's got to be added to the 40 man Padres were in a 40 man crunch. They moved a lot of prospects specifically who were going to be part of that 40 man crunch. Arias's value in this deal to me is they think that he could be a star at shortstop. He's a big risk and he showed some changes in approach in his 2019 season. We don't know how much more there would have been on that, like a full season this year, if he had continued to show improvement that he showed in 2019, uh, the Indians couldn't have gotten, couldn't have acquired him in the trade that they had made. It's a gamble, but with his defensive ability and power upside, he, to me, I think was the centerpiece of that trade. I think the number two piece, now most people don't agree with this. I think it was Cantillo, the left-handed pitcher. I thought that they might draft him when he came out of Hawaii. I was a big fan of his in general. He fit the Indians profile to a T then. He fits their profile even better now. He's exactly the type of arm they find a way to add a mile per hour here, some spin there, and raise his overall profile significantly. I think in a few years, there's a chance where he is the best player the Indians get in this deal. Uh, I think he's being largely underrated in some places. Excellent performance, good strikeouts, excellent walk rate, Indians pitcher to a T. I think Naylor was the third piece in this deal. It's probably closer to a league average bat. Um, I don't know if we're going to see, you know, more. We're not going to see like the postseason version of him all that often. That might pop up from time to time, but this is a guy who's more of a average-ish bat in the league and but when you look at what the Indians have put out in the outfield, league average sounds fantastic. I think Cal Quantrell is is your fourth guy who is another interesting pitcher right up the Indians' uh, developmental sweet spot. We'll see if they can figure him out. He's kind of more of a two-pitch guy. That's been his problem as a starter. Former top 10 overall pick, a guy who, before he got hurt at Stanford, there was some talk that he would be the favorite to be the first overall pick. 
didn't happen, came back, got a big bonus, still a top 10 pick, didn't pitch at all that year. And that ability, what teams liked enough to make him a high first round pick is still there. Now the Indians can work on him and developing a third pitch. If nothing else, he's going to be a dynamite guy out of the bullpen. If they figure it out, if they trade a starter, which, you know, we're hearing those rumors about all of a sudden Quantrell becomes one of the favorites for one of those rotation spots. After that, we had Owen Miller, the shortstop who could have probably played in the majors this past year. That's the track he was on. He doesn't need to be added to the 40 man for a few years. He was a recent high pick super utility guy, probably more than likely is his role. Uh, I would rate him higher than Ernie Clement. Who's kind of the player who already has that job slash role for the Cleveland Indians viewed in the future. Uh, Miller could be a guy who, depending on how free agency comes together and trades, uh, I would not be shocked if he ends up getting a chance to start at second base and or shortstop. And then Austin Hedges, they decide to keep him. So that means they do value him. That's not surprising. He fits their mold of that defensive first catcher. He might even be a better defender than Roberto Perez. But the bat, oh, the bat. When he can actually make contact, there's like power potential. He runs pretty well. It's just the contact skills are so poor that he's never been able to, you know, access any of it. So long and short of it, when it comes to Austin Hedges, he's going to be more expensive than Sandy Leon, not by a ton more. You look at how much they paid Leon last year and maybe they flip him. Maybe they keep him. Maybe they flip Perez. I'm unsure, but uh, the Indians have so little catching depth, even in their minor league system talked a few weeks ago about their top positioned you know players at catcher you've got Bo Naylor and you've got uh, Brian Levistita and then not much beyond them so you understood why they would maybe want to add a young high-end catcher even if the high-end skill is pretty much defensive only so we'll have to see what happens but to get think about it again six pieces all of which can help the Indians for multiple years sure they didn't maybe get the big names that, uh, you know, Taylor Trammell was technically the biggest prospect that was traded away by uh, San Diego, and he went to Seattle in the NOLA deal. The Indians could have had Trammell last year. If you remember, he was part of, he went to the Padres in the Trevor Bauer deal. He just wasn't the guy that the Indians wanted. And again, they have a very specific profile. It's really interesting how much their profile is all about certain types or what they see like the Corey Kluber trade I talked about or last year on the podcast. I mean, there were trades from what I talked to people, there were offers out there that uh, were, I don't know if I want to go so far as to say more interesting, but that I would have preferred trades that I thought were um, higher value, but the Indians really like class a they viewed him as better than anyone else that was offered. So they went with him and We'll see how it works out. You know, they weren't expecting a suspension at the time, but maybe he'll uh, come back and be fine. And they'll have another elite bullpen arm. And I mean, specifically when you look at this team uh, moving, I don't know if you move them in the closer role, but moving into that role that Brad Hand previously occupied uh, just as another back end arm is of significance and importance to the Cleveland Indians. So let's talk about some of the other 
news and notes of the day. Uh, we had a signing. We had our first free agent signing, and it kind of surprised me. Uh, if you missed it, Drew Smiley signed with the Atlanta Braves. And why was this shocking? Well, he got one year, one or one year, eleven million dollars. That's right. Drew Smiley got eleven million. The owners are crying poor and talking about how they're going to have to tighten their belts. And Drew Smiley, who uh, got eleven million dollars, which was, by the way, how much he had made the previous two years combined. Curious about his age. He turned thirty-one in June. So this is a pitcher in his 30s who four, you know, last season was 26 innings, five starts, not exactly a large sample, uh, had not been really effective since 2015, didn't pitch in the majors in 2017 or 18, has had injury issues and is in his 30s now and $11 million. Like that's... That's a boggling amount of money uh, for a guy. I mean, over the course of his career, and this is someone who debuted relatively young, his overall earnings, he debuted at age debuted at age 24 for the Detroit Tigers. You know, he was sent over in the David Price deal to Tampa. Uh, debuted at age 24 in 2013, seven years in the majors. He's earned about $28 million as a starter. And signed as a free agent with the Phillies in 2019. Signed as a free agent with the Giants in 2020. Uh, released by the Brewers in 2019, signed by the Brewers as a free agent, released by Texas. It's an interesting line to follow in terms of what they got for him. And uh, $11 million, again, with everyone crying poor, that's a lot. He is going to get a chance to be a starter, and they honestly must strongly believe in what they saw in those 26 innings. Uh, And what's... I, I think a risk there is just the fact that his strikeouts per nine in those 26 innings were 14.4. His previous best was a 10.4 back in 2015. So that's not something you really can count on. The home run rate for him for his entire major league career was 1.4. Last year was 0.7. And his hit rate over his minor league career hits per nine at a 8.5. It was a 6.8 last year. We'll see. Uh, interesting gamble by the Braves. That is our first free agent signing. They add the 30-year-old lefty who's had health issues. Good for him. Uh, $11 million is more than he has obviously ever made in a season. And to me, that was just fascinating to watch, follow, and see. And then they also announced the preliminary Hall of Fame voting list. And it made me a little sad uh, from the perspective of Grady Sizemore didn't get a chance. He wasn't on the list. And I know it was a short career, but Grady Sizemore from 2005 to 2009, when he got hurt in 2009 at age 26, was on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Like, I have little doubt in my mind about that. If you go over to Baseball Reference and you look at his comparisons by age, Duke Snyder, Duke Snyder, Mookie Betts, Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds, then he gets hurt. And even at age 31, Dave Henderson, who had a very long career. Over the course of it, his Al Martin, Matt Carpenter, uh, Larry Hissel, Josh Reddick, and Trot Nixon. So his overall career, especially the later years, uh, diminished it some. But, I mean, he is one of the great what-ifs in Indians history. Just a sublime talent and player, that center fielder who was starting to turn into a power hitter while also playing gold glove level defense. I mean, more than anything else, uh, 
those 2000s Indians teams might have been derailed by the injury to Grady Sizemore. Uh, you go back to 2007, that great team that year, 748 plate appearances, played in all 162 games, 24 home runs, 101 walks. Uh, it's it's just sad. I When I saw that information, I understood why he wasn't on the ballot. But when you see some of the guys who sometimes make that cut for the ballot, uh, career war of 27.7, I mean, just put his name on there. Three-time All-Star, what he could have been, two-time Gold Glove, one-time Silver Slugger. I just think Grady Sizemore should have at least gotten his name on the ballot. Yeah, had a three years gap between his time in the majors. 2010 was 33 games, 2011, 71 games before he came back in 2014 with 112 games. I, it's the rare player. I always think Grady Sizemore and then uh, Brandon Webb, the Arizona Diamondbacks pitcher, where, I mean, with Webb, it's even more pronounced because he never came back from injury. That was just the end of it. But with Sizemore and Webb, those were the two guys around that same time who were near the top of their league and injuries just did it. That was the end of the line for both of them. And they were, you know, top end players. And we just don't see a lot of that anymore. You don't see a lot of guys where it's like, well, injuries ended it. That used to be something a lot more common when I was a kid in the eighties and nineties nowadays, because of the miracles of modern uh, science, we don't see as many players end up losing their entire career, but Grady Sizemore, uh, I'll stand by it in my lifetime. He is the greatest. What if in Indians history? Yes. There's always the Michael Opry's, the Adam Miller's, but more than those two guys, I think, you know, Sizemore was proven. The other two were just great prospects who got hurt. Sizemore was a star at peak. He was 26 years old and it all went away. And it's just one of those really unfortunate stories. One of the great what ifs in Indians history. I want to thank everyone for listening today. Remind you that uh, next week we'll have Adam Lieberman on the show as our guest. Look forward to that. He's got some great 90s stories when it comes to the Braves. He's got some great insight on the minor leagues with all the time he spent in Akron working for the Indians. Really knowledgeable, really great guy. Everyone loves Liebs. You got to spend any time with him. I hope you enjoyed our Clevenger talk. I hope you enjoyed the time spent on Grady Sizemore and the sadness that he got away or the sadness of his injury, I should say, and the years that got away from him. I've been Jeff Ellis, as it says on the graphic, which if you're listening, you can't see. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff MLB Draft. And as always, go Tribe.